Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pursuit Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Tenere, and we've been blessed to talk to some really cool people in the industry so far, and today's episode is certainly no exception. Joining us from Booger Bottom, Georgia, is the bone collector himself, Mr. Michael Waddell. First, we get into how he got into the outdoor industry through Realtree, and we talked about some of the legends that he was able to take hunting. Then we get into his opinion on how the hunting industry and pressure from the outside world shouldn't dictate a successful hunt. Then Michael shares some exciting news for the bone collector that will surely excite turkey hunters all around the country. Please welcome Michael Waddell. All right, everyone. Like I just mentioned on the intro, we are here with the one, the only, Michael Waddell, the bone collector himself. Sir, it's an honor to have you here, man. We're really appreciative of you taking the time and, and being with us today and, and talking to just a couple bunch of novice hunters, if you will, here in Ohio, man. Hey, that's how we all are being, man. I appreciate you, uh, you and uh, Jordan having me on. I know we've been trying to get this schedule. We've been, all of us have been chasing deer and game and obviously responsibilities at home and so uh it's, it's glad to finally get a chance to chat oh yeah definitely definitely so and then shout out to ramsey uh for hooking this up i know we we're gonna poke some fun at him in a little bit so ramsey if you're listening man we appreciate you i wasn't here that day i don't know where i was i think a kid was sick or something um but i missed the conversation with ramsey i know this guy i, <laughs> I so I, I walked up the stairs and ramsey's in the in my boss's office and he goes hey uh How'd you like to have Michael Waddell on the podcast? And I was like, uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> man, oh, Ramsey, he's a, he's a man with many connections, man. And I, I, yeah, I've, I've known Ramsey quite a while. I'm sure you guys have too. He's, he's actually a pretty darn cool dude. And matter of fact, it's funny, and Ramsey, I hear this, his, he, you know, his biggest claim to fame, we could look back in his career and see the places he's worked and where he's currently at, you know, over at MBS and, and some of the responsibilities he has, which are pretty ultimate. But, you know, if you ask him, what is your claim to fame? So I had a chance to be part of a podcast that Ramsey was hosting. And so he and I talked and he was pumped. He he, he quickly emailed me back after it aired. And he said, man, that was one of our highest rated podcasts. Well, soon after that, he, he gets a grand slam with his turkey on his turkey quest. Well, he does something. And somehow or another, Ramsey talking about his turkey killing prowess, you know, and this turkey whisperer that he is basically outrated the, the podcast that had, you know, done, you know that, that, that was it. ours. And so he always lets me know, dude, I outrated you. He So he <laughs> technically out by him being himself, he outrated himself talking to me. So I love it. I love gotta it. congratulate Ramsey on that. So he outrated himself. See, what you could have said is the only reason why you had those followers is because the week before you had me on. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then, we and then set yeah. the table. We set the table. He can only go up, right? I mean, so. yeah. You said you cooked the meal. He just had the dessert. <laughs> and no, and, and I always tell him, well, nobody really thought that he had actually got the slam, so they had to listen to get their own take if he really did get it. So, uh, I love it. so that's that's what we'll say to Ramsey. But yeah, no, nah, I mean, it's, it's funny as we're talking about Ramsey. That's that's one thing I've learned that's universal. Like if if everybody ain't picking each other and having fun. Usually the person that don't get picked on is the somebody, that's the person nobody likes. So, uh, so Ramsey knows us picking on him. He knows we love him. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. He's definitely helped us out. Not only with you, but he's got some other, 
things in the fire for us too. I know we talked about Swindle and, and G Man and all that yep. stuff. So he's helping us on the fishing side as well. And so shout out to Ramsey and all the things that he does of, for us over there at the uh, MBS. So heck yeah, man. Well, let's get into it. I know. Um, I mean, obviously, you're a figure that we both know. You know, I, I feel like <clears throat> growing up, it was you, Bill Jordan. You know, is Team Realtree. You know, T Bone. You know, all those guys. And and uh, so I know a little bit about your background, and I've heard you on other podcasts and stuff. But if you can, let's go ahead and kind of give us your your um, your genesis, if you will, on on being, you know, in the outdoor industry and kind of what got you started into being the man that you are today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been actually, um, pretty surreal to kind of look back, you know, on, on my career and really where I get a chance to sit now, because I mean, you know, it gets kind of, you know, maybe people get tired of hearing the word blessing, but, but it has been truly a blessing. I, I don't think it's, you know, on my own power, I was able to get here. And, you know, I always heard my grandpa or papa tell the story about the turtle on the fence post, you know, you see old turtle on fence posts out in the woods, that sucker didn't get there by himself. And so, Obviously, I didn't, but um, but like many people listening or watching, um, man, I was just at a young age, just fell in love with the outdoors, fell in love with the outdoors, everything about it from from walking the creeks to, you know, acting like I was hook fin to just exploring to fishing to hunting, chasing a squirrel, learn a little bit about trapping with my papa to uh, to to just everything in the outdoor culture. And so like many people, too, I never really thought that I would ever be doing this type of thing for a living. Uh, but, but early on when I got a chance to really just kind of keep trying to my best to get better, which, you know, the good thing about a hunter, and I've always excluded that I cannot be called a professional hunter because I've always thought that was really shallow because as soon as I've always thought I was pretty good at something, you know, and that I was finding success, you know, the animal obviously in their home that we're out there chasing them and pursuing them in. They teach us that we're not as good as we think, that obviously we're in their domain. And so uh, I've always thought it's kind of shallow to refer to, to anyone as a professional hunter, uh, you know, outside of promotion. And I guess truly that's what it is. But, um, I, you know, I'm always trying to figure out a way to get better. And that's really what landed me an opportunity. I was just wanting to get better and better and better at everything I did. And that really hit when I was you know, getting better at turkey calling. I wouldn't even say turkey hunting. I think I got better at turkey calling before I got really good and proficient at turkey hunting. And um, and I started competing in contests, started doing well. That's where I met almost everybody I know in the industry, from, from the turkey callers that I looked up to, to people like Bill Jordan, people really from all over the industry. And I had a chance to start guiding early on for Bill Jordan, taking people hunting. I mean, names like Dale Earnhardt, literally like Jeff Foxworthy, I remember hunting with a lot of athletes and, and I, I wasn't even working full time. I was just getting a chance to to help guide. And at times um, I quickly got an opportunity to, to video only because why not try to record some of these people you're getting a chance to take. And, and one thing led to another and I'm working at a local pro shop, you know, which I can relate back a lot. That's why I really love talking and, you know, like here, you know, talking about Vance Outdoors and all this stuff. It's really cool because I still connect to the dealer. I connect to these pro shops because I worked at them. You know, I remember setting up bows and things like that. Me and the guy that owned this store, well, I didn't own it. I just worked for him, Big Buck Trading Post in Manchester, Georgia, a guy named Shane Collier. He and I would hunt a lot together. And, of course, if you have any reps that come through, you know, they're always giving you some free broadheads, you know, give you a three-pack, like, man, try these out, you know, and Next thing you know, it's like, man, what about one of them bows? And I remember Bear Jennings had given us a bow or two. So 
we was already out video and trying to just get some stuff. We, I mean, literally, we'd just play a VHS tape in the store at the little pro shop. And uh, so when I had a chance to start guiding for Realtree, I told David Blanton the story of what I was trying to do and what we'd been doing at the pro shop. And one thing led to another. He put a camera with me and literally, I mean, a year and a half, two years later, they offered me a full-time position making $18,000 a year to, to run a camera, to help guide, and to essentially try to learn more about the craft of television production, which they committed to sending me, me, me to editing school, which I ended up doing. And... Um, I mean, kind of the rest is, rest is history. I mean, but there was never any intentions on those first year for me to ever host or be a personality at Realtree. But I think what ended up happening that I got kind of lucky and getting back to the blessing and a door that was cracked because I had won kind of a world championship with Ricky Joe Bishop and a grand national championship in Turkey calling with Ricky Joe Bishop in a two-man team contest, along with some other kind of cool titles. It gave me a chance to kind of be this turkey guy. So, you know, when we would be needing a good turkey tip, you know, David would be like, well, dude, we got Michael. He's a champion caller. Yep. Michael, go yep. do this turkey tip. So I got a chance to do some things on camera. And then uh, and slowly, just through happenstance and, and zero plan, um, I started getting more opportunity in front of the camera, either as a thank you or a bonus, you know, uh, in lieu of financial commitment to me. You know, I'd get to go hunting instead of getting maybe a, a bigger bonus check or something. And I like that. You know, when you're 21 years of age, to get a chance to go hunt the Encinitas Ranch. I mean, that was, I knew that hunt was, you know, a $3,000 opportunity. So that was same as cash to me. So, uh, yep. and luckily I did it because when I had a chance to start hunting on camera a little bit, I started getting some good feedback. Realtree saw it. And so they started giving me more opportunities. So that's really a five minute version of, of my career as to where I even sit now. Oh, for sure. And there's one thing in there that you, a couple things in there that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on. One, number three. Hunting with number three, Mr. Dale Earnhardt himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a funny story I heard about uh, him coming up to turkey hunt with you, Mr. World Champ. If you can, because I couldn't imagine. I mean, that's the intimidator, right? <laughs> and I couldn't imagine having Dude, him be there to hunt with me. I was uh, I was just the other day, I went to uh, Las Vegas to watch Bryce Mitchell hunt. And um, we got stranded in the airport. And so if you're in the airport, and especially when the NFR is in town, um, going back home from Las Vegas, I was there for the UFC fight. There was a lot of cowboys and country boys and a lot of hunters. So I sat there and just spent literally, I mean, 10 hours in the airport stranded with my wife. And I had a chance to meet and talk to a lot of hunters. And I, and, and a couple of them specifically asked me what it was like to hunt with Dale Earnhardt. And um, and I had a chance to talk with the Robertsons or on their podcast, the Duck Manor podcast, was talking about some of the Earnhardt stories. But there were so many crazy things, man. And to this day, I'm telling you guys, I've met a lot of celebrities, a lot of personalities. I still, to this day, am really close friends with a lot of them. And um, and just now I don't even think of them as celebrities. They just truly have become friends. And um, so obviously when you're with a celebrity, you know, you get reactions. People see them. And, you know, it could be a Blake Shelton or Clint Boyer. Um, I mean, there's so many different people that people see. But to this day, I've never... I've never seen the reaction to walking into a convenience store in rural Alabama or rural Georgia, and you're standing there with Dale Earnhardt with those mirror shade yep. wraparound glasses with camouflage with that mustache, and it's the intimidator. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like people saw Jesus. 
I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. Oh, I believe it. You know, it. you could be, like, take a Blake Shelton. I mean, who don't love yeah. Blake Shelton? If you're country yeah. and you've watched The Voice, I mean, but it's different. People are like, oh, my God, Blake, and they want to come up and hug him and high-five and just so intrigued by Blake and and, and certainly a A-list celebrity that people would give anything to meet. But with Dale, it was almost like they didn't know how to react. Yeah. Like I said, it was like Z and Zeus or somebody. Like They didn't know what to do. I mean, freak people yeah. out. Oh, I believe it. I mean, he's just he's legendary. I don't even think Junior could get the same reaction, honestly. I mean, it, yeah. I remember, you know, I, I was born in 87 when you were 86. Yep. And so, you know, obviously I was old enough to understand what happened when he passed away. I was old enough to understand that rivalry between him and Gordon and all those guys, Mark Martin and the, the whole thing throughout the 90s, you know, when NASCAR was NASCAR. It still is a little bit today. Yeah. It, ain't, it ain't no Winston oh, Cup anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, going into a local bar and seeing the, you know, the hoods and the posters and everything, man, yeah, he it, it would be like meeting Jesus. I mean, for someone in the South that, you know, that's what they love in NASCAR and football, like, it, I could see it for sure. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in, in, in Sunday NASCAR races, I mean, obviously, if you're in the South, it's the Bible Belt. So everybody went to church and the rest of that Sunday was eating fried chicken, drinking beer. I mean, and watching NASCAR. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and so these heroes and I would say Dale Earnhardt. I mean, you got the Richard Petty's. Um, you, you've got a lot of, you know, iconic type of figures. And um, some of those I've met. But I would say, yeah, you're Richard Petty's. Your, your Dale Earnhardt's. I mean, then, you you know, if you get over in a drag race and there's a couple of those figures. But realistically, if you think about sports in general, you've got the Michael Jordans. You know, you've got the Wayne Gretzky's. You know, let's call it a Larry Bird or, or, or you know, a couple. And then a Dale Earnhardt and, you know, or Pele in soccer. I, I've never kicked a soccer ball in my life. I play kickball, but I know who Pele is. You know, I've so, so some of these athletes transcend, and and Dale Earnhardt was that guy. You might not have ever watched, you know, a NASCAR race, but you knew Dale Earnhardt. You might not even know what the Indy 500 is, but you know Mario Mario Andretti. And so, you know, so Dale was one of those guys. He was just a, a legendary figure, and he was certainly the intimidator. And he, oh yeah, he um he certainly to me at least, and maybe. I only got a chance to be around him, I'd say, for about four years before he passed away and got killed in a car wreck, but um, it, or the race. But it, he he definitely was intimidating to me, even though he was kind to me, and he would always give me two hundred dollars tip. It wouldn't matter if we hunted four days or ten days; he'd give me two hundred bucks. And uh, and I remember one thing in specific he told me. Um, he said, "I said, Dale, it ain't, man, you ain't got to pay me or tip me." I said, "You know, I work for Real Tree and." my job is to help get you a turkey and, and just to show you a good time. And he said, you goofball. He said, I, he said, he said, well, take his $200. He said, they gotta be some dumb old gal that, that likes you, that thinks you cute and dates you. He said, spend it on her. He said, hell, it ain't for you anyway. Spend it on her. You know, he's never getting <laughs> business. So he didn't know what I was doing. He just like, well, spend it on some dumb girl. That's probably because she's got to be, and that's what he said. He said, I ain't talking about dumb women are dumb. He said, but there's gotta be a dumb one that likes you. <laughs> so I was always he always had this way of being nice but kind of throwing a jab at you and yeah. sarcasm and kind of that hard love and uh and I will say uh, it's one thing and it's it's good to talk about it because it's not like it's a name dropping thing even though in reality I am bragging that I had a chance to hang and hunt with Dale 
but not everybody can appreciate it. You almost, you know, like I tell my kids about it and they know Dale or, or know of his legend, but I don't know. It's just kind of cool. I think back on it. And it's like, wow, I had a chance to, to probably kill seven to 10 turkeys with Dale Earnhardt. You know, I got pictures and, and that's kind of thing that literally talking this cool, I can sit with Clint Boyer or Kevin Harvick of NASCAR and, and, and Blake Shelton, some of these country singers, and pull up on my phone like, check this out. Bet you ain't got a picture like this. And I can show Blake a picture of me and Dale, you know, killing a turkey together. Yeah. And Blake has met everybody from Mick Jagger to actors and actresses that we all would want to meet. And he's like, oh, my God, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to, you know, to have in your pocket. That's when you go. Yep, tip your hat. Yes, sir. <laughs> exactly. So it might be name dropping, but it's a it's a name worth dropping. Yeah, you may oh, be, yeah. you may be married to Gwen, but I got Dale Earnhardt. And yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, the, that, that's my ultimate Tommy Topper. I can pull out the Dale Earnhardt story. You know? oh, that film. Remember that film story? The film school story oh, yeah. I was telling you. But I told him about your film school story and uh, and their reaction to some of your video footage. I know he was wanting to ask you. Yeah, yes. so you got that little story about the the film school because you mentioned it before, but maybe just tell that a little bit quickly and then go over the ending because that's the best part. Oh yeah, man, that was awesome. I had a chance to um, to chat with Steve Rinella with Meat Eater, and um, we were talking about that because you know if you watch and listen to say Steve, you know you, you get these this understanding. I think most people that that watch or view Bone Collector, they I'm, I'm kind of the redneck, and I'm 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 tickled to be that guy. I mean. I'm the guy that people are pissed off because they think I'm killing too much. Yeah. I mean, literally, yeah. I'm you know I'm either the guy killing a farm deer or hypothetically it must be in a high fence and this guy's reaping turkeys. He's doing this and and so I'm like I guess in one way I I put a feather in my hat that I'm the redneck that's getting a chance to shoot some turkeys and and, and has some different tactics that I use. And so when I was with Renella, Renella would be more the philosophical, uh, you know, I would say educated guy who's done really well who can actually speak to somewhat both sides but i would say he's had a success more in the liberal side of things yeah um and that's not a knock on him and so i was telling the story about my first experience with kind of people that i guess you could label as liberal i hate i hate labels anyway but i I didn't know anything about people that didn't hunt i mean here i am you know 21 and I just assume every. I mean, who who don't hunt and fish? And I still ask the question: If you're a grown man, what do you do? What do you do if you don't at least fish? Yep, you know, yeah. what do you do with your time if you don't go outdoors and hunt, or at least look for arrowheads, or I mean, at least bird watch or something? I mean, I, I just couldn't sit inside all day and play Mortal Kombat, you know, and Mario Brothers. I mean, you, you got to get outside and do something. And it ain't like if you're 40, you run out there and play tackle the man with the football. I mean, yep. you play slow pitch softball. So so as I'm talking and, and I get to this film school, um, I realized real quick that as they found out that I was a hunter and especially worked for a production crew called Real Tree Outdoors at the time, that actually we videoed hunts and we were actually putting tags on animals and actually killing these animals, well, I might as well have been the Antichrist. I might as well have been just, oh, my God, this guy is a murderer. He is, I mean, it was it was weird. I never experienced that. And um, at first, I was shocked. And as, the, as the, uh, the week progressed, I started getting a pretty big chip on my shoulder because I started realizing, like, man, these guys don't even know me. And by not knowing me, they don't know the culture that I stand for and who I come from and all the 
millions and millions of people across the country who were country that hunted and fished and and uh and so anyway finally like i had this footage all these tapes that david blanton sent with me that i could use to put together hunts and the instructor was excited because at the time we had some very high-end production cameras that we were using so for the film school they didn't really have a lot of good equipment they had some little cheap high eight even some old vhs stuff and we was learning non-linear editing so we was putting and digitizing this footage on the hard drives and we were using that to edit with but the footage that i had on these, these beta cameras and beta tapes were really high-end i mean literally nfl film style of footage you know just really high-end quality you know wildlife footage so the instructor wanted to use more of it well we thought it'd be a good idea until the class realized what was on these tapes. And so they quickly, it was like a rebellion against this footage. And there was people that stood up and said, we're not using this. This is, this is, you know, I'm, I'm a vegan and I don't hunt. And this is, this is wrong. And we're not using this footage. We're not going to participate. So finally the instructor said, listen, we're not going to get any better footage. You guys will learn to edit, you know, and we can at least put together a production where, the animals got away. This would be hard to do because, you know, you know, most of these animals were shot, but we'll use these hunts and make it look like they got away. And, um, and we'll, we'll use it at the end of the school. And so if, if some reason everybody agreed to that. And so that's exactly what we did. So we would take the, up to the point where the deer would get shot. And then all of a sudden in reality, the deer would be shot and the deer would be running off and he's, he's on his final 50 yard dash you know, a hundred yard dash at the, at the best. And it would appear that we would take a, a sound bite or an imagery that looked like the deer got away. Maybe it's a hunter catching his breath. He's got his head down like we missed him or whatever. But in reality, all of those getaway shots were dead animals. And so <laughs> some reason they, they asked me to come present this into the school. And I had learned a great deal about editing by this point. So when it come my time, I remember they had a, um, a tap, had had a beer tap there and had rolling rock beer. My first experience drinking a rolling rock beer. Rolling and, rock. A, and boy, did it taste good when you didn't have a lot of friends, you're sitting around the mess hall. And so I didn't have me about three or four glasses that rolling rock. And I was already feeling pretty good right before break dancing, you know, and, uh, and they get me to present this stuff. And so finally I got up here and get my little speech. And I was like, man, you know, this is what we did. And these, these are the ones that got away. And anyway, <laughs> but right before I walked off the stage, I, I kind of come back to the microphone. I said, it, and by the way, it might look like they all got away, but every one of them are dead. We done killed all these. <laughs> and so, man, it was like, and then the footage started rolling and we showed that. I was leaving the next morning. I got my grade and I learned to edit on nonlinear equipment. And, and uh, but it was an eye opener, guys. Let me just tell you something. I could not, I didn't know that. I, I just, I remember looking back and I, I don't remember really politics at that point. Like, I don't remember uh, you know, thinking who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, where do I fit in? I just, I just knew I was a fun loving guy. I knew I was country. I knew that it would be okay to label me as a redneck for whatever that term really means. I knew that I was more rough around the edges. I knew I could run a trot line and skin a buck. And, and I knew that I more like the outdoors and, and the rural areas more than the cities, but I just didn't know that people didn't accept you know, things, um, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. and when I say that people say, well, that's bull crap. There was a lot you didn't accept. And, and that wasn't the case. They were, I didn't really think about it. I, I just remember thinking people did things that I thought was stupid and, and didn't seem 
uh, fun to me or exciting to me, but I didn't think they were completely, I didn't think it was unacceptable that they did it. Yeah. And then yeah. that was the first time that I realized like, wait a minute, it wasn't enough for them just not to like what I did. They wanted it to forever not be able to be done. Yeah. And so that was the first area of politics to where I realized that everybody that preaches love and acceptance, they're, they're a lie. They're lying. I mean, I, they're not exaggerating. They're lying because they might love certain things, but they didn't love me and uh, at all. And, and it wasn't that they didn't love me. They didn't love that I hunted. And not only did they just say, I don't accept it. They wanted it to be done with. And I haven't really ever thought of anything that, that I thought that strongly. Now, I might pick on you. I might think it's completely weird and strange. But I don't wake up every day trying to eliminate you from doing it. I just don't. No, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you said that because that was that was the next point I was going to have. You know, as as hunters and, and outdoors enthusiasts ourselves, you know, if I come across somebody before I came here, I worked in financing world and marketing and finance. And so, granted, we're in Central Ohio, and so there is a lot of people that live in the country and understand what we do and what we like. There was equally amount of the same people that just didn't. That's just not for them. My yeah. stepmom, my stepmom wants nothing to do with eating wild game, and that's fine. I think she's missing out, but I'm never going to sit there and, and belittle her for not wanting to eat that. Mm. But at the same time you get, you know, I'm I'm looking at like the vegan side of things or like the vegetarian or whatever. It's like, you know, look at Yellowstone as a prime example. I know that's a a fake show, but you know, I think um, Kevin Costner had a really funny quote about that. Something about like, you know, at what point is it too cute that you don't want to eat it? Or that you care that it dies or something like that. You know, it was like a <laughs> right. mic drop moment. You know, when you run that harvester, how many mice are you te- tearing up? Or how many deer have we have you seen getting caught in a corn header? You know, there, there's a lot of different ways that animals die. At what point does it matter to you what that animal is? But going back, and, and that's their opinion, but going back to it, you know, you, you, you dealt with those vegans. You may think they're weird. You may think the, they're missing out on something. But once you leave there, it's it's off your it's off your mind. Like you don't you don't you don't care about it anymore. Done with it. But it's that's not right. it's not the same way. It's not that, that that's not reversed. You know they're always every chance you get that's got a face or that's got eyelashes. Eyelashes. Steve Rinella has said this before. I think it's the eyelashes that make people really care. But it's like or look like a teddy bear. But you know they're always always hammering. It doesn't matter. Who yeah, it's a full time job for them. Yeah, as, yeah. As opposed to us, it's like okay, well that's dumb. Um, you know, you're missing out on, on some great food or you're missing out on great opportunity or you're missing out on great experience with your family, but Hey, whatever to eat your own. See you later. You know, well, that's correct. I mean, matter of fact, it, it leads to where, you know, you get a little older and I, you know, um, I look at where I'm at now at 49. And so obviously it's pretty easy to date my career. So if you listen to the beginning of this, we're talking about when I got started. So realistically you're talking high school, you know, I was working at Realtree at 18 years of age, helping guide and help for two or three years until literally I got a full-time job. So this has been my whole life has been working in the outdoor space. Primarily, I would say in the television and production and entertainment space. But obviously I've been able to be around a lot of high-end business meetings when I was sitting, you know, at tables with Bill Jordan, where obviously we just come from a hunt. And so even though I'm a camera guy and a guide, you know, he, 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 he loved me enough and that he wasn't going to tell me, hey, you don't need to be here. I would just be there and not, not say a word, but I would listen. And so, matter of fact, one of my early nicknames was Sponge because I was always trying to learn. And um, 
And I was intrigued because I was being around things I'd never seen, just like the International Film and Art School. I, I didn't know that and see that. And so now at 49, I feel like for me, I've come to detest a lot of things, but not a lot. And I would say it's a pretty short list. Hypocrisy is one. And that's what lives so rapid. It's crazy. Insecurity is another. And, and, and sloth, I would say. Um, I don't I don't like jealousy, but I think jealousy can be used as a chip that can drive people to get to another level. Um, I don't even dislike fear because without fear, sometimes we might not succeed. As a matter of fact, if you get too unafraid and you get too comfortable, I can almost tell you something about is going to slip up on you and bite you. And so the, the times I've achieved the most is when I had the fear of failing and that I was in a very uncomfortable position because it puts you in a place you have to perform. You know, prime example, I've always never could could just imagine how athletic you got to be as a defensive back in the NFL to time after time after being just gassed to be able to cover the modern six foot five receivers that can run four four. How do you do that? I mean, they are never in a comfortable position, but they always sometimes uh, prove that they're some of the best athletes on the field. And so, so in that, I, I just, I just now have a pretty broad view, and I'm, I'm very open minded. Um, and you're right, I, I don't sit there and try to look at people's life and try to decide, you know, if I should try to figure out how to ban their style of life. Um, I just am pretty open to saying, well, that don't look fun to me. And I don't think I would enjoy it. But if that's what you want to do, then do it. I don't think you deserve the right to go out of your way and indoctrinate my kids in school with it. Um, and, you know, I don't think that you deserve the right to make me say that I'm going to like it when indeed I know I will not. I don't want to eat lettuce every day of my life. I want a piece of ribeye. I would like chicken. I want um, some elk backstrap. I don't want just beans in my chili. I want some ground beef and some Italian sausage. You're not going to make me do things. I, I kind of agree back with the Jordan Peterson. You're not going to make me call you a certain pronoun that I'm not smart enough to even pass trigonometry, much less try to figure out how I'm supposed to call somebody. If you're a dude, I'm going to say yes, sir. And if you're a chick, I'm going to say yes, ma'am. And, and it has no disrespect in it. It has nothing but respect. I don't hate somebody that thinks any different, but don't make me admit something that I don't believe in. So I know I went into a little bit of places outside of the hunting, but the same goes with hunting and fishing. You're not going to sit here and call me a sissy and call me I'm an idiot because maybe I were to go walleye fishing and I want to use a minna. Or I want to go catch a bass and maybe I want to eat one of them. Maybe I want to shoot a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer. Maybe I want to go deep turkey hunting and do it a certain way that somebody else don't want to do. I think as long as it's by the legal statute of what our game and fish departments uh, set forth, then we should we should you know just stay in our lanes. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't advocate for certain things if we see it being detrimental, and maybe that's people's excuse, but I find there's a, fall, there's a fine line of falling back into the other thing I hate, which is insecurity and hating other people that are successful. Because I think a lot of these people hide behind this advocation of trying to change the world because they think it may have a better place. But in reality, they're just pissed off at you guys because maybe y'all did kill a deer 
with a rage broadhead or a mega meat broadhead. It's not enough for them to accept that. So they somehow got to throw shade on y'all because your arrow was too light and you shot him oh, with yeah. a flapper. They somehow got to look at the dad who gets the chance to hunt maybe one weekend and say, how could you dare shoot a young two and a half year old deer when they don't even know anything about him and realize that he's putting $2 through college. He's got a wife that don't let him hunt that much. I don't think it's, mean to say that or, or condescending to a woman to say that there are some wives that say, listen, you can hunt Saturday, but I got to have you Sunday. We got dance recitals. We got chores and you promised me you was going to help with the pool house. So, okay, we all got it. So are we, are, is that a mean woman? Is that a henpecked man? No, it's neither. But finally, this guy who's doing all these things gets a Saturday afternoon to go use this Hoyt bow that I talked him into or T-Bone did, or maybe he was in the store there and he said, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And he finds success to only have some asshole call him a sissy. I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong for these social media trolls to get on there and start dictating how and then become the judge of who's worthy of putting a tag on an animal because of how they did it, whether it's on public or private. I think it's shallow. So all of it connects together and all it connects together with, with hypocrisy and those things that I detest. So I'm not a psychologist, but even though I'm country and can be labeled a redneck, I'm not an idiot either. And the things I look on that I don't like, I'm not trying to ban it. I'm just trying to tell you, and I deserve the right to say, I don't want to participate because it don't look fun. It looks like it would be non-fun. The funny thing is, too, I mean, you, he was going to ask you about that yeah. clip because there's a clip that you had, I think it was a like TikTok or Instagram reel. I or saw something. it on Instagram, but it was it's essentially the same. the same point. It's your hunt. It's not anyone else's job to tell you right or wrong exactly what you said if as long as it's within the law if you want to hunt you hunt if this if you want to kill this spike buck go kill that spike buck you know however however you go about it and you could have killed it's it, your hunt and you could have killed a freaking 140 and i would have been just so my man here just shot his first deer yep first ever two weeks ago two weeks ago and i'll tell you what man he sent me a picture i damn near had a tear in my eye that, and absolutely. it's a it's a Six inch spike buck, and he he shot yep. his first deer. Who am I to say that it wasn't the right kind? I, Who am I to say I, that he th should that, have shot that I'm one? Saying. He should have waited for a one forty. What, what a jerk! Think about this. If you really want to get, what a jerk would somebody like me be? You know, here I am on a Tuesday morning, on a Thursday morning, Friday in the middle of the day. Somebody's putting tar on the roof. Somebody's driving an 18 wheel across country. Somebody's teaching a kid in a public school system. Somebody's baking a cake at Publix. Somebody is literally, literally cleaning out sewage pipes. Here I am on a Tuesday that I decide I'm going to do me a little Facebook Live. And I started like, oh man, sucky situation here. Deer ain't moving in Iowa. We up here hunting down the road from Don Kiske and this and that, man, it sucks, the weather's warm, and just ain't nothing happening, and by the way, guys, you know, I, I think you're doing a disservice, if you're out here, and you, you're shooting a deer that's under five and a half, six and a half years of age, you're a detriment to our hunting society, now, in the meantime, maybe a dude is already on the edge of getting in trouble, because he's watching this live Facebook, and here I am, or some hunting personality, on a freaking Tuesday at 10 o'clock, when he ain't even supposed to be on break, he should be back doing his job, he already could get rode up for being on his phone, his wife already said, you ain't hunting Saturday. You know what? We didn't already commit it to our kids, and you told my mama we was coming up here to eat supper. So you already half-ass pissed off, and now you got me. 
hunting community goes right over their head. They don't even realize what they're doing. They're trying to be tough and trying to give somebody some of their expertise. In reality, how could I have a bad day in Iowa, even if it's warm, when my job was not to get up and put tar on a roof, but to show how fun hunting is? Yeah. It goes yeah, over it, our head. And so I'm not yeah. going to be that guy is to tell you what you need to do when you finally do get that Saturday or that Sunday, or maybe you get off at three o'clock, it can run to the deer stand and make it. If you, even some people that work at the sporting goods store, some people that work in sales in our industry, they're not getting a hunt, man. They're running and sprinting and borrowing and begging time from their responsibilities of life and the strife of life, surviving, barely surviving. Some of us not even surviving. Well, now let's turn on your outdoor channel. Now let's turn on social media and somebody throwing shade of how you killed it. Oh my God. What a sissy. You was in a ground blind with a decoy. That's not turkey hunting. I'm like, come on, freaking Ron Burgundy. Why don't you go back and, and, and freaking go, you know, enjoy your own self-image looking in a mirror. But quit worrying oh, yeah. about what I'm doing. And so th that really bothers me because if, in the reality, what people people need to realize. Oh, we lost you. You still got him. There you go. We lost audio there. I'm sorry about that. My phone started ringing. That's I didn't realize right. it. Um, but, but who, oh, you're good. But one thing that hit me that you just said that meant a lot to me, and this is true sincerity. So, Jordan, we've talked on the phone a few times, all of us, but I don't know y'all at a level to where we would consider ourselves close friends. We respect each other, sure. all right? Well, Jordan's a close friend of yours. He gets this buck, and you said I almost had tears in, 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 in your eyes about knowing that he'd gotten this buck. Yeah, sure. That is freaking friendship. That is love. That is compassion. That is excitement. But the same story, if 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 you know if if somebody tells you they got a buck, if you know them and respect them, you're happy for them because he got one. It's not like you know what, dude. You, hey, man, now we got you on the podcast. We got to give you two hundred dollars more a day because, dude, freaking, you're a big buck killer now. It doesn't change the way society looks at him. His wife or girlfriend yeah. don't love him anymore. Kids don't love him anymore. Your friends don't love him anymore. You love that your friend did something that you know he was sought out to be a goal. That's the reward. So, so many people on social media think that if I can finally kill a turkey with a bow, I'll be accepted and people will love me. No, bro. People either going to love you or they're not going to love you. It ain't going to be because you kill a 200-inch deer. Your true friends that you grew up around or that you met that understand what kind of man or woman you are when you're working toward that goal and you achieve it, it ain't going to change anything other than they're truly so passionately excited for you because they know you achieved a goal. It becomes a love similar to your kids. You know, it, it, it's like when your kids said, Dad, I want to make the high school football team. All right? When he comes, are you going to love your kid anymore because he's on the team? No. Yeah, no, no. Not, you not already, there's unconditional love. But when he makes it, when he makes it, Tears come because you know that kid had been training. He had been weightlifting. He had been making sure his grades are up to par. So if he makes the team, he's going to be able to qualify. Then the next goal is, Dad, I want to start. It doesn't matter. You're going to be a proud parent sitting on the stand because he's on the team. That's the same thing, and people miss it. And so what happens is in the hunting industry, we got a lot of old jerks, complete buttholes, that's sitting around with big high-end cigars, smoking them, looking at pictures of themselves, portraits of themselves with all these millions of dollars worth of animals that they shot and not a friend who gives a shit. They're in lonely, dusty trophy rooms and they forgot completely what hunting was all about. It's about to experience it with your friends. 
and for a group of friends to understand what is a goal, either a group or individually. And when you can see people have that success, therefore there becomes a celebration. Some of us just want to get some ground meat to go on our chili. You know, it could be, I guarantee Jordan right now, whatever he killed, he's now got his sights set. It's a Pope and Young. It's a 140. I want to one day get a 170 with my bow and arrow. One day I'd love to get a brown bear with a bow and arrow. So you got all these things. It doesn't change the perception of reality. Nobody really cares. And that's something Gerald Swindle said to me the other day. Quit worrying about what all people, and if they like you, or run a popularity contest. There's people right now that hate Jesus Christ. If they'll hate him, why are they going to like me? Why are they going to like you? You got to think about that. If they, I mean, and they can say, well, I don't believe in him. Yeah, you do. I'm like, duck commander, man, you, it's, it's December, whatever, 2022, tw 2022 years after Jesus Christ or Yahweh. Well, you, the, they named times after him. So don't <laughs> got him so so I, he's talking about time. Somebody they set the calendar for. They ain't, I ain't worried about them like, liking us three. They probably no. ain't. They're too caught up in their own world of hate and stuff. So anyway, like I said, I know some of that's pretty deep, but it gets really spun out of control on people, the way they celebrate people and how there's judge and juries about how they want to decide and tell us if we're deserving or not. And I just think it's shallow. I think it shows a lot of hate in their heart. And I think it shows a lot about those people who are the first to troll to start hating on people because you realize real quick, they don't really hate me. They hate their own self. They, they hate their own insecurities and the world that they live in because they just are miserable and they hate seeing you smile. They see, hate being seeing you happy or me happy or society happy. And they're more pleased with drama and corruption and aggravation. And so I think it's sad when you see these type of people because we should be able to celebrate. And, and yeah. with that, I'll add to that. There's a lot of things that I don't enjoy. I got a friend who loves to ride bikes like well not not motorcycles i'm talking about pedal bikes with them tight britches on it ain't no fun looking to me man i i mean it's like come on man and now he's got into running triathlons and things like that and i think it's weird kind of like i mean i'm not making fun of that but like it don't seem fun to me to get an iron man and, and swim 32 miles and ride a bicycle with little skinny tires and tight shorts and then run 20 miles whatever but then i have to sit back and think no, that ain't going to be fun to me, but it's fun to him. So if yeah. my friend does good and he makes it to the Ironman and he can just finish, if you don't think he ain't going to get a big hug from me, I'm going to be like, man, oh, I yeah. don't even understand why you do that. But, buddy, congratulations, man. I'm, Man, you, you, you done become one hell of a cycler, and I'm proud oh, of you, man. You dedicated yourself to that. I just don't know why people can't be more loving and, and at least uh, understand that philosophy. It's not that complicated. It really is. No, it's really yeah. not. And I'm, I'm glad that you say that because you have, you, I mean, you have one of the biggest, I mean, the, probably the biggest platform in the industry. The other man who's equally as big or if not bigger, Mr. Nugent. And he says the same exact thing. Now it doesn't matter if he's in Texas hunting high fence. It doesn't matter if doesn't he's matter. in Michigan hunting a thousand acre farm. Who are you to tell you what you can kill and what you cannot kill? Like period. Bottom line is we appreciate you spreading yeah. the message that you do, Jordan and I both. Um, it's a huge deal to see guys like you that have had a long, successful career, and you, you're talking to the guys like us, like me especially, like it's my second year deer hunting, and to hear that message makes me feel good. You know, I don't have to worry about getting a 180 or 190 and, you know, feel bad otherwise. It's a big deal to hear that from from people like you guys. 
I will say you're welcome and and welcome to the brotherhood, baby. I'm telling you right now, man, I, I'm so excited to, to see you find success. And, and what I tell people all the time is, is obviously it's, it's funny. And it, it, those type compliments are the mean to me more than anything. And it's funny because, you know, if people have ever watched me, um, I, I know they've seen possibly, well, there's no way they couldn't. They've seen some animals I've shot, you know, some of them are big, some of them are not so big, obviously a plethora of different environments and geography, um, and, and animals, you know, I would say from all over Africa, Canada, Mexico, but overall, the biggest thing I get is people do say that. And it makes me feel so good to say, man, I just think it'd be cool to sit around a campfire and, and inevitably they kind of, they don't look at me. I hope, I hope they don't. And, and at least the people I meet, they don't look at me as this intimidating figure. They just know that I'm not going to judge them and I'm not going to sit there and, and, and be the judge and jury of how I think they should turkey hunt. I think there's some things that we can talk about that they're trying to get to that next level that I can say, Hey, I was there once, dude, I kind of envy you because there's no better place because now, you know, I remember that first six pointer I ever shot with my bow. Um, Oh my God. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I still get excited, but it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Christmas now, you know, we're now older. Yeah. I got a six year old in this house and, and the thought of what Santa Claus is going to bring him. I mean, you know, you get up into that or the two fairy and, and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, we still love it. You and I still love it, but there's no way I can see it through the innocence of his eyes and I can re no. I'm, I'm now living it through my kids and, and Waylon who's six. And so now I think that's cool to know, Jordan, your stories of your next six pointer, or maybe you shoot two does in one hunt and both good arrows. And when you're talking to me and Ben about it, or, you know, the Lakoskis or the Drury's, you're not going to believe how captivating that story is going to be to us. Um, because yeah. We reliving it with you. It's, it, we, we are going back in time to re remembering those first things and first times. You know, I had a conversation of Ricky, to with Ricky Carmichael, who they call the goat of motocross. And we were talk he was talking to me in hunting, and I was talking to him about motocross. And um, the difference is I didn't, he ain't getting himself hurt these days hunting. And every time I'm trying to jump on a 450, I about kill my fool self. But we, we talked about that. There was such a parallel yeah. in him talking about these deer that he's now getting a chance to kill and asking me tips on these food plots versus me like, dude, well, well tell me about the suspension on these Suzuki. Suzuki and yeah. do you think I ought yeah. to put one of these new pipes on my bike? And so you could catch this sense of just the, the innocence and my excitement of riding a, a motocross bike versus him hunting. And so when you start looking at all this stuff, it goes, it goes hand in hand. And I tell these people that flex that that would maybe see a picture of you with this spike that you shot with your bow and quickly yeah shooting the baby shooting bambi and how hurtful they are and i always you know i always want to ask them sometimes like well what was your first what was your first step what did your first step look like did you run a marathon did you go race edwin moses you know what was your first what was your first baseball experience did you hit it off a tee or did you just immediately go up there with a wooden bat and and, and, and and go hit against the pros? So when you start looking at it, you got to start. You got to begin. And some of us don't have a chance to invest enough time to even get a lot of experience, even though we've been doing it for years and years and years. I mean, I know hunters that have hunted for 10 years that literally get a chance to hunt five or six days a year. They're still hunters. They're still hunters. You know, I go deep sea fishing almost every year. 
and I still don't know anything about it other than I love the taste of a mahi-mahi and tuna and freaking love cobia. I, I mean, I eat amberjack, even though people say, man, don't eat that amberjack. It's got worms in it. I don't know nothing about it. So, so who has a right to judge me, man? I'm still, I'm still a rookie. Um, and so I, I just, I just, again, it gets into some really real psychology every time I start thinking about it. I'm just happy to see people happy. And, um, and it's amazing that that's a, that's a strange trait. That, that's amazing that that's become awkward in our society. All right, everyone, we need to take a quick break from our conversation with Waddell to thank our show sponsor, Toby Burdett, with Burdett Taxidermy and Legends Big Game Recovery. As we roll along with this new year, hunting seasons around the country are slowing down. And maybe this conversation today has you daydreaming about chasing longbeards this spring. If you're in Ohio or the surrounding states and you want to get some of those memories preserved, give Toby a call at 740-281-6435. Thanks, everyone. Good luck with the remainder of your season. Now let's get back into the conversation. I joked a little bit earlier. Um, we're going to ch- change gears just a touch. Okay. I mean, we're going to kind of stay on here. But I, I, I've already showed you, but I'm going to show you again for the audience here. Old JJ, baby. Five minutes down the road. Yes. So... You joked, we, you know, we, 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 we joked before, but you had just mentioned um, about like your kids and stuff. So I was sitting down. It was right after the conversation. Um, I have the outdoor channel. So the bone collector episodes always are coming up. And uh, I see Michael Waddell getting into an apartment or so I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about that trip to, uh, J- to uh, Jimmy John's place, because I think I actually you had him on your podcast, too. Did you not? I did. And, uh, and his story is such the American dream that it, it, it was even mind boggling to me to hear it. But, but I know exactly what episode you're talking about. And it was weird. I got a call out of the blue. I met, I'd met Jimmy a couple years back and, and quickly impressed with him. This guy's bigger than life, charismatic. Um, he, he's really kind of getting to his stride of, of, of living his life with, with, I think, complete joy. You can imagine um, through Jimmy John, the restaurant chain and the sandwich shop, he was so dedicated and focused on that being successful and really his business life that that I think sometimes outside of hunting, he probably didn't really you know wake up and smell the roses a lot. He was just so going and blowing that now I think that I met him in a perfect time for him and I to become buddies because he really, I wouldn't say slowed down because he, he, he he's worked hard, he plays hard, but um, he's just having the time of his life, being around the people he wants to be around, learning from the experiences that he wants to get better at. And uh, I would say he's gotten a lot more sentimental. I think his sincerity is off the, off the charts. And so uh, Jimmy kind of last minute said, hey, man, I'd love for you to come up and hunt my place in Illinois. And, um, and it sounds like it's become somewhat of a hobby and an investment that he's buying up some farms, you know, up there in Illinois. Um, a lot of the river ground stuff, some of that fertile farm country, he is farming it. He, he actually is working with a lot of farmers. So it's become a passion. I mean, Jimmy... John calls himself a farmer. That's the first thing he's probably said. What are you proud of? Like, I'm proud. I'm a farmer. I mean, he's dead serious. You can almost chuckle. And when you chuckle, like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, you're a farmer, Jimmy? And he's like, yes, I'm a farmer. I own X amount of acres in this area in Illinois of river bottom. And I farm corn. I farm soybeans. And obviously the same ground. What does he do? This area is known for big whitetails because of all of the ag practices. And so... You can tell that somewhat growing up in the city and being pretty metro in his life of everything he's had a chance to be part of, he enjoys being a farmer and a hunter more than anything. And so uh, 
I had a chance to go up and it was a long story to set up this. So obviously anything that Jimmy John does, if you think that he's a little bit going to do it halfway, you're wrong. It's whatever you can go and then add another 10, 20% to it. That's Jimmy John. That's his style. I mean, and so every, I'm talking about everything in his life. Jimmy John is not just going to build a nice fence. He's going to be concerned that birds are pooping on his fence. So how do we keep <laughs> bird poop off my fence? You know, I, I'm not ever going to have a car if I don't have a garage and a place to park it. I mean, he is just one of these guys who pays attention to all the details. So obviously hunting, he got very frustrated that deer would smell him. He got very frustrated that you can come in and sometimes deer would run off or you'd leave that night. Deer would spook and run off out of your stand because let's face it, we grew up hunting deer stands, lock-ons, ladder blinds, ground, you know, a lot of ground blinds nowadays. At best, maybe you had a redneck blind or old homemade tree stand. So what does Jimmy do? Jimmy realized early season that you get very hot setting in blinds. All right. You can go get in the ladder stand, but guess what you possibly give up there? You get smelled and you still got to get down in the evening out of a food plot of deer that are happily feeding, undetecting you, and then you spook them off. So Jimmy's like, well, what if we took a few areas and built some big towers and put air conditioning in them or heat and made them so thick in the edges that when you walked up, you could ease up into these buildings and leave undetected. So everybody immediately, you know, thought he was crazy. It's that one guy who is his kind of specialist, a guy named Mark Wimpy, who's killed some giants in the area. He's like, Jimmy, this would be brilliant. It would make not a lot of sense outside of technically you're not going to spook deer. You could hunt them in any wind and you could sit in there and it'd be like being in your living room. So Jimmy started getting a budget up of what it would cost. And he figured out it'd be anywhere from twenty dollars to $40,000 to construct these. So about four places on his farms, he's done this and run power, literally in some cases, 15, 20 grand to get power out to him. Oh, I believe so it. he's like, I'm just telling you about this, Michael, because I know that you're not going to share this with your audience. It's crazy. I don't want it to be seen anyway. I don't want people to think I'm showing out or trying to act like here's the big billionaire sandwich guy doing these things at Jimmy. I pray that we can get a target buck in one of these areas. Oh, yeah. I want to hunt one of these stands. One from is, you're right, I won't be smelled. I can get in undetected. I can sit in there with comfort and I can relax. And this would be cool because I'm a guy that likes adventure. I'm not saying that I got to, you know, walk to a stand seven miles in the nude and get dressed under a stand. I want to be able to do these things. And so with all that said, I hunted and shot like a hundred and, you know, right at 170 inch deer out of one of these blinds, wild Illinois whitetail. And it just was awesome. Good footage. And I don't hide anything. I'm showing no, the blind. Yeah. I'm showing this thing. And it was you, I still want the coolest experience. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You you cracked me up on that one too because um, you're right. He did have, I think it was like standing corn or switchgrass or something like that in front. So you walked in completely undetected. And I think you, did you snort wheeze at him to get him over too? I think I remember. I, I did. I did. Matter of fact, it was, it was fun because it was kind of one of the cool things with Jimmy. So, so, so that was what he had did. Uh, he had set this up to where he had this, Muscanta. So it's like a switchgrass or a Egyptian wheat, maybe in the south of a southern listener. But it was called Muscanta. And he would plant Muscanta about, let's just call it 15 to 20 foot from the blind, really thick. And then he'd have areas of standing corn. Then he had clover, so your typical food plots. And Mark Wimpy would position uh, the food plots and everything very strategic. 
Um, and so basically you could get in undetected. And when you left in the evening, you could you could leave undetected of the deer and slip your way out. He had mowed past that you could really walk slowly and softly out of. And so the only time you would spook would be if you are hunting this on a, on a wind that wasn't that good. So anyway, but the one detriment is these are big food plots. So you still, when you saw a deer, didn't mean he was going to be in bow range. And so I'm sitting there and literally opened the window and I snort wheeze at this big mature buck and he comes sliding right up in there and gave me a 30 yard shot. And so even Jimmy was like, dude, you took my plan and took it to another level. And I'm like, dude, I never thought I'd hang my head out of what felt like an apartment building and, well, and snort wheeze a deer in, dude. And so, uh, again, you're always learning. So, so, you know, should, should we cast shade? Should we throw a stone? No. I learn a lot. I'm telling yeah. you, Mark Wimpy and Jimmy John taught me a lot about hunting whitetails. Now, it taught me to be able to do that was going to be an excessive amount of financial money to, to do something like that. But I've already adapted some of these to my place. I did go by. I went to, um, there's a company called Backwoods Attraction. I got to talking to them, and they've got this cool millet that'll grow in the south that'll grow, you know, seven foot tall. So I've already, um, around some of my ladder stands and food plots, planted it so it's not at the same sophistication. And, yeah money put into it but now i've been able to get in and out of my stands in some of these situations with that buffer that i saw jimmy had in some of these these hunting situations so you're always learning and um and some things we learn about that we know we might not can afford but some things are practical and we can but you know whether whether they're good old boy cheap tactics you know that don't cost a lot or they're high end just knowing it is, is nice to know that can be brought to your attention and that's what jimmy did he taught me a lot up there hunting out that dirt that blind was crazy it was awesome <laughs> yeah that whole that whole uh, episode was just really funny too and you know i'm glad you said that about you know you don't have to take it to that extreme but we had um i don't know if you know her her name's emily conkler she shot uh -huh. like 190 inch deer down in southeast ohio or southern ohio yes. and yes. we t we had her on and um she, I think she's, she was with DSG for a little while, um, with Rochelle Hedrick and all those gals that were there. Um, so we had her on cause of the store, but she had a farmer plant corn. You remember her saying that yep. it was secure. It was more or less for security cover, you know, for that food plot. So deer feel more safe going into the security cover. They don't have the pressures of the outside world where people can, they can see you from 300 yards away, that kind of thing. But it also, aided and getting that you know walking to that stand you had that natural blind and i think Kenyon, mark Kenyon, did the same thing on their little back 40 uh conservation project where they put that switch grass mm -hmm. that egyptian grass in there so you can have some of that security cover and you can use it to get into your spots that naturally you wouldn't be able to yep absolutely there's a lot of things like that to work you know traditionally growing up you know whether it's where y'all are at or here in the southeast or across the northeast I mean, you know, those type things are not something we think of right off the bat. And that's what I've been lucky to do is be able to, you know, hunt a lot of places and you pick up on some things. And some things, it's, it's kind of like fishing with Kevin Van Dam or some of these great fishing pros. It's like a lot of times you think some of this stuff is just going to be mind boggling. But what I found, yep. some of it's so mind boggling because it's very simple things that we never really just thought of that are so in just so simple uh and and sometimes providing cover to get in and out or like literally i, I got one of my places down here it's a it's a blind i put some silt fence around the base of it and and it's kind of grown up around it and i and when i get down at the that silt silt fence like you use on a construction site i can walk 300 yards 
away and using that silt fence is something and my deer out in my food plot 150 200 yards and very rarely do i ever get blown at in the evening hunt when i want to slide down and i decide not to shoot or if it's something you know i can leave them be and um that silt fence i think it's a i think i got five dollars ten dollars worth of silt fence around the base of my stands it looks kind of tacky yeah. I mean, my wife is like, man, that, that looks, that looks kind of redneck. I'm like, you wouldn't believe it. It's, it's, it helps. It's awesome. Oh, I believe it. I you believe can even it pull, sure. you could literally too, the way it's positioned, you could pull up, say a Rambo bike and just leave it, prop it on your ladder. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. And now somebody's going to look at that and say, dude, yeah, freaking ride right to the stand. Freaking. Not, I mean, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Swim the river? I mean, yeah. I mean, it made you feel better. It's this way. I don't even got to strip back down and spook deer off swimming back up the river. I can just get on my bike and ease out of there or walk out of there. So I'll tell you what, those, sometimes uh, hunting, sometimes, sometimes hunting smarter doesn't necessarily mean harder. Yeah. I was going to say those bikes are, uh, are pretty key too. that. I, I tried my hand at, we saw a, a bike here, uh, from Mississippi called predator, predator uh-huh. bikes. And, um, I borrowed it the one weekend and put a blind out about, I don't know, three quarters of a mile back. Oh, yeah, they're slick. Yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. I need to, I need to get, I need to go get one because I could see some, you know, I'm hunting about 700 yards away from my house on a permission farm. I could see the woods, you know, that I'm hunting at and, you know, I could just drive that thing from my house, park it right there at the edge of the field and walk in like it would be the ticket for sure. And I don't have to get in my car and all that stuff. So. And you don't leave yeah, any scent directly on the ground yeah. other than those rubber tires, which obviously we, we know that tractors and vehicles, I mean, deer, I mean, how many times have you ever seen the last time a tractor come riding by and deer stopped me tracking blue because he smelled where a tractor rode by. Oh <laughs> yeah, for sure, up, you know? for sure. Well, what, what do you got going on? I know you've been bouncing around back and forth a little bit. You said you were up in Ohio for a little bit. I know you were doing some other hunts. What kind of hunts have you gotten? I mean, I don't want to uh, ruin any uh, seasons, oh, no. season hunts, no, I, but I, how, how's the hunting been this year? I'm very excited to, to for people to see this year's lineup. Uh, most of our shows are going to start. Our brand new shows kind of start the end of January, early February. Um, obviously, we air year-round on Outdoor Channel and my Outdoor TV, you can see. If you have the Samsung free app, you can watch Bone Collector on um, Outdoor America. We air there, so it's free if you got a Samsung TV. Um, but anyway, or, or a uh, Vizio, I think it's pretty much all the new TVs have that free those free channels called Fast Channels. But um, just an exceptional year, man. I was like, I felt somewhere between a little bit skilled and and more lucky. I mean, it's like. I, there was a couple times I had such good luck I was afraid to start thundering and lightning like I'm staying inside because my luck has been too good I don't want to get struck by lightning you know it's like <laughs> I, you know just a very enjoyable year of um you know and, and that's one thing too if anybody's listening there is a lot of misconception you know take about where we hunt I mean a lot of people still will accuse us of high fence or pens we, we don't do any of that everything we hunt is in free roam free ranging um opportunity uh we hunt public we hunt private we hunt anywhere we'll hunt in backyards we'll hunt permission hunts we lease property we we do it all and, and we do that purposely not necessarily to uh, to brag about one particular thing if there's one area we probably don't talk a lot about is the public land and that's just because of uh, that's probably the one detriment to me i'm a little more greedy than some of these public land hunters i don't want 
nobody to know where I'm hunting, <laughs> you know, if it is public because it's public. And so, yeah. so that's probably, uh, I would rather not beat my chest about hunting public when I'd rather just keep it to myself. So that's probably a, I don't necessarily call that a, a good quality about myself, but, uh, for years, some of the best and biggest animals, all my elk, all my biggest elk have come from public ground, all of them. But, um, so I'm not here to, you know, to fight that, to say, oh yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah, you, you deer, you, you deer farm hunter trying to get into the public world. We've always been in it. It's just that, you know, I can talk about my farm here because it's posted. <laughs> I can talk about yeah. my deer farm, but you know, it's like, I'm careful to say, oh my God, this area in New Mexico for elk. I mean, we ended up inevitably, if you will look deep, you'll know where it's at. But, um, I've just learned that a plethora of different styles and geography. I don't want to pigeon my whole pigeon my whole myself into one way of hunting. I like a challenge. I like to hunt different game and I like to hunt different geographies for the same game a lot of times because there's a big difference in chasing deer in Ohio than the way you would go about it, say in Georgia. Big difference in how you would approach hunting a whitetail in northeast Montana versus Alabama. And so I have found that it's really fun and diverse as a hunter to, to get pretty good at hunting a lot of different geography. And it gives you an understanding better of the game uh, and the similarities no matter where you go. So uh, I enjoy that. I enjoy challenge. And, um, and there's some things that I enjoy the mundane of them. I'd say my number one favorite thing to hunt is a turkey. Sacket would probably be a big elk, big bugling elk in the fall. In the fall. And, um, and then whitetail. And so uh, from a bucket list perspective, things that I haven't done, I still have never killed a brown bear with my bow and arrow. I've killed brown bear, but I've never done it with a bow and arrow. So that's kind of the last big thing I've done. Prior to that, I'd always wanted to kill, you know, a lot of the big North American animals, the elk, moose, you know, antelope, those type things, even Cape buffalo and some of the African game with a bow and arrow. I've done all that. I just would like to go on maybe one cool brown bear hunt or as many as it took to try to connect with a big brown bear with a bow. I think that would be really cool. Oh, that would be super special for sure. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that as someone that's hunted everything, what's that one thing you're looking for? So that that's it for sure. The brown bear. And outside of that, I'm kind of in this cool repetitive cycle. It's almost like, as we talked about, you know, enjoying certain things. I now don't, now that I've hunted most everything and I don't say that facetious or, or braggadociously, but I have been blessed to hunt Oh man, I, I don't even know how much big game. I, I haven't even went back and looked at the North American, you know, you know the, the the super slam or the big game. I mean, I know I've killed like a desert sheep. I've never killed a lot of the other sheep. But if you look at all the North American big game, man, I've I've hunted them almost all, and most of them I've killed. Um, but now I'm just like I'm not worried about getting one more animal for the sake of saying I've got this species. I'm now more in with the more gray in my beard and the more valuable my time is here at my home with my kids, with my wife, that I probably love more than any adventure because it is an adventure, man. When you're raising five youngins, one of them's up and grown and, and you got, a, a, you know, kids in school, man, it's always a circus. So uh, I enjoy my time at home. So if I'm going to leave home, I'm going to make sure it's going to be pretty much something I know I'm going to enjoy that I can call my wife and say, all right. I'm having fun because I'm hunting elk and they're bugling and uh, that's it. You know, it's, it's not, I'm yep. not very rarely yep. going to like, man, I wished I'd have never went this muskox, man. It sucks. And it's cold. And Jim Shockey lied to me, 
<laughs> I'm not. That's not where I'm at right now. And, uh, and and there's a few things I want to chase, but I'm more now into just kind of repeating some of the same hunts that I've had for many years. And uh, maybe that comes with age. I just I just enjoy. I, I know what I like now. I know what I enjoy. Yeah. And I'd say most of all of that I pursue with a bow and arrow. And I just I love it. I really love it. You know, one thing we didn't touch on is um, we'd be remiss not to even touch on it, but we haven't said bone collector at all, hardly at all this episode you know that's one thing that we carry here obviously yep. we carry the bone collector line of bows you know shout out hoyt for making some sweet bows with the bone collector you know we we got the, the grunt tubes we got all the calls yep uh if you can let's briefly touch on that and then just kind of the, the creation behind bone collector and and how you the three of you guys all got together and kind of and got that kicked off yeah it, it was pretty cool and it, it actually is a cool story because you know, if, if you follow me and I talked about my career at Realtree, the first show that I got a chance to host um, was Realtree Road Trips. And that show changed the trajectory of really not necessarily who I was, but certainly my career path. Um, and even then, I look back, we had a very talented producer and a guy named Steve Finch. And we had a low budget and it was just go have fun. And so we realized that we wanted to show be about personality and having fun if you look back, it was not any how-to. It was just some young guys and some celebrities, but just everyday guys, along with every once in a while, you might see a personality that you would know, that you heard on the radio or something, or an athlete. But it was just like, go have fun. We are just having fun hunting and fishing. And so uh, that changed my career. And so when I had a chance to go out on my own in 2007, you know, everybody was, there was a lot of buzz about Michael Waddell and, and not to talk about myself in third party, but it was like, man, what you Michael Waddell outdoors or you, Hey man, why don't we do a Michael Waddell signature gun or Michael Waddell signature bow? And for some reason, man, that made me feel really weird to, to say my name. Like I, I, I didn't like it. I mean, I was flattered by it. I was really flattered by it, but I felt strange think for some reason, thinking about a Michael Waddell edition. And so, uh, it was actually, there at Thompson Centers, the name Bone Collector came about. I remember I was shooting this gun, and we had committed to doing a signature licensed gun, like a Michael Waddell edition is what they kept saying. And I said, guys, I'm not comfortable with a Michael Waddell edition. I said, there's a lot of people that, you know, unless they're diehard fans, Jim Shockey ain't going to want to shoot a Michael Waddell edition. No. no. Loader. I mean, you know, the encore is, you know, I, would, I was trying to think, and this is where I realized I was trying to think of business and making money. I was thinking, well, just give me a percentage. I'll promote the Encore and just give me a percentage of sales of that. You know, and I'll just, the Encore will be Michael's gun. Let that be my signature gun. Let it be the Encore. So I was smart enough to say money over ego. And it's like, no, 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 Michael. First of all, if we're working with you, we, we, we expect you to promote the Encore. You know, so I was like, ah, well, that didn't work. I thought that was pretty good. You know, give me a piece of this Encore action. Give me a piece of this Omega action, you know. And, and so... What had happened was I never liked the idea of having a Michael Waddell edition gun. So they had just coming out with this Triumph frame of a muzzleloader. And so uh, I shot all of them. I did shoot some of the Encore frames and I shot five or six different guns, muzzleloaders at the time. And uh, and I shot the first ever. I said, here's a brand new frame. We're going. It's going to be the Triumph, uh, the uh, uh, Thompson Center Triumph. It's, it's a pretty inexpensive gun to make, but this sucker is, is very accurate. We think it's more accurate than than even the encore at the time. And so uh, I shoot this gun 
And I shot it like five times back to back in the, in the 50 caliber muzzle and all of them are kind of touching. And I said, holy cow. I said, I don't know what we're going to call this gun. I don't want to call it Michael Waddell, but this is going to be a bone clicker. And when I said that, like, oh my God, <laughs> why not the Thompson Center bone collector? And so I, I quickly got excited. I'm like, that's it. And so, dude, everybody was around like, dude, that's it. The, the, the Thompson Center bone collector, that's your gun, right? So then I flew home from the Northeast. And I was going back home to Georgia. And the whole time I was already trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Like I still was doing road trips, but what did I want to do next? And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bone Collector could be a good brand for all hunting apparel. Bone Collector is pretty cool. It's a little bit, it's a little bit in your face. And then immediately I, I wrote the creed of, you know, a hunter is more than a predator. He's a provider. He's a caretaker. He's a leader. You know, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a hunter. I'm a bone collector. I am the way I was born. And um, I kind of wrote that creed. That's not exactly it, but the best memory of that creed. And I quickly called and said, "Listen, I do want to call this the Thompson Center Bone Collector, but." I would like to trademark this myself and possibly do TV and let a lot of my, call it my Michael Waddell editions, let that, let that just be bone collector. Because what I thought, guys, and you guys in the retail business, I wanted something bigger than Michael Waddell, if yeah, that makes sure. sense. You know, you think of Phil Knight. It's yep. not Phil Knight shoes. It's, it's yeah. Nike. Yeah. But who owns it? Phil Knight. Uh, you know, you think of Under Armour and you got the three guys up there in Baltimore. You think of Realtree. Well, there's Bill Jordan. And so... I wanted a real tree. I wanted a mossy oak. I wanted a browning. And so unimportant is who necessarily owns it. I wanted something bigger than my name. And, and I always felt like it was always shallow to call my name. Now, however, what I, what I did get pushed to do in those early stages, because nobody knew Bone Collector, they wanted to call it Michael Waddell's Bone Collector. But if you look now, even if you go look in your stores, now it's just yep. Bone Collector. I finally was able to get it to a place where I could take the Michael Waddell. Michael Waddell certainly loves it. Even feels weird saying that, being that that is me. But um, <laughs> so anyway, that that was my whole. If you want to get a little bit into the entrepreneur and the business side of that, that was my thinking, and um, and it gave me an opportunity to go hire a few people, like Nick Munt and T Bone Turner to to help me kind of build this yep. brand. Um, and uh, you know, I didn't really need a Nick or T Bone on Michael Waddell's outdoors, uh, if that makes sense. But I needed them for Bone Collector. And so it, I felt like it was a good good idea. And um, and right now, guys, I will say, and, and I will say thank you, number one, for supporting our brand. And number two, I'd say you're just now seeing the barely the peak end of what we're about to establish. we got some really cool things that we're doing and working on now at Bone Collector. Um, I'll tell you one. Matter of fact, nobody knows of this. I couldn't even have told you this two weeks ago. So this will be the first it breaks. It's not even on our show. Um, or bone collector it's not even on our podcast or anything i've done on social media but i have worked with a lot of different gun manufacturers in the past i mean i've worked really tight with benelli i've worked really tight with beretta i've really worked tight with uh, remington uh, I, I worked with remington through two different bankruptcies obviously you know love their guns and um and so looking at where the market has been in guns and setting down i've always beat my head against the wall getting exactly what i wanted for, for turkey hunting the exact perfect gun that i wanted and so uh finally i'm like man i was just been talking to a lot of different manufacturers from overseas to domestically to people i know that distribute to people like y'all who buy and sell firearms i said man the, this is what i want and uh 
So long story short, we finally, we have decided just to get into the gun market and we're building. Right now, we've only built 1,500 of them, but they're coming in and we've got a, a, a bone collector turkey torch, 20-inch barrel. It's the coolest, sickest gun. It's everything I ever wanted. It's, I mean, I'm just like, dude, I'm going to put it in the corner of my room and look at it when the first ones come and I should have them in my hand. They're, uh, they're going to arrive here December 20th, so just before Christmas, and um, they're coming in a really cool box, a bone collector box that we designed. So more of a raven type of vibe, you know, when you first saw those raven yep, crossbows. Yep, yep. And so uh, so rather than have, say, a Beretta bone collector edition, we're just making a bone collector. There you go. We're going to have bone collector shotguns, and, uh, and, and, and I'm sure it's not going to stop there. It's been an investment. It's been it's been a lot of work and gamble and, and anxiousness in it. But, you know, when you see cups like Jimmy John and you see, you know, I mentioned Nike, I mentioned Realtree and some of these people, I'm like, man, American Dream's out there for all of us. we got to roll the dice and we got to go for it. you got to have good retailers like you guys that help support it. Obviously, I don't want to produce anything that's junk. You know, if you look back in the past, we've had some amazing products and I've also been able to be part of things that I look back and I'm like, man, they, they created something that was not so good, but I didn't have as much control over it other than they licensed out my logo to put it on it. And so we're learning to take more control of that. And when you do take control of it, it's a little bit more gamble. Um, but at least you can control it. You, you can create exactly what you want and you can have a lot more um, artistic value to it. And, and it's not near as a, uh, I hate to use the word sellout, but you're in more control of your destiny. But then again, you know, two years from now, I'm like, well, why is Waddell not on any pod, uh, you know, why is he not on any podcast? Because he's bankrupt. <laughs> he's <laughs> shotgun deal. You know I tell you. But we're going for it. I cannot wait for you guys to turkey hunt with it. I'll make sure you guys a couple are held back because I want, I want some of the sporting good dealers, some of my friends and some of the dealers, I want them to yeah. take these guns and beat them and abuse them and to tell me because we're, we're going to have these things up and ready to sell really soon and um so I, that's the number one thing i'm excited about i mean i'm anxious and excited at the same time and you can imagine that's awesome you know the funny thing is i um i was holding out last year because i i have a remington 12 gauge um the very first mm -hmm. gun i ever bought myself at cabela's in west virginia wheeling west virginia it was a snowy day i'll remember it for the rest of my life was a remington 870 express and i've used it for everything deer turkey yes you know waterfowl but i wanted a dedicated turkey gun because that's a heavy gun. A Remington. A, a, That's correct. Yeah. And so I was looking at the Savage single shot, getting a 20 gauge Savage single shot. Well, you know, in the economy that we're in right now, it's, it's been hard. Ideally, I'd like a 410 for turkey. This is something I can use. It's light. I can give it to my kids. Bone collector, baby. You, you send me one. I'll buy one because I'm looking. It's funny you say that, but, and that's what I found out. I mean, so Jordan being that, that's what I found out. So I got really frustrated because I would sit down with the manufacturers. I mean, we, we were working with them. I mean, they were paying us. We were endorsing and promoting their guns and, and did not have a bad experience. But you got to keep in mind, no different than Ricky Carmichael. I mean, if, if I'm hunting turkeys, let's just say, I, you know, peop, some people can hate me for it. Some people can respect me. But if I'm getting up every day and I'm taking people from going back to when I took Dale Earnhardt to me now, leaving my wife and kids, and my, my job is to learn better to manipulate and how to get a turkey, all the way down to where there's a bow and arrow, a shotgun, you know, or a shot shell, I want to know what is my best odds of what do I really need. And so I kept preaching and asking, saying, guys, there's some great shotguns out there, but they're too heavy 
or in some cases they're too not too light not holding up against each other or you get a good turkey gun and maybe it don't cycle good enough if a guy wants to go buy a 28 inch barrel or the guy ends up spending you know in a case of a Benelli spending twenty five twenty seven hundred dollars for a 28 inch barrel but in reality they only bought it because it was multi-purpose you could still take a 28 inch barrel shoot a turkey and it cycled, but you really didn't want to spend $2,800, but you did, and, it's, and, you, and you didn't want a 28-inch barrel. You did for dove, but you wanted a 20-inch barrel. And then you would find that the shortest turkey barrel you could get was around 26 inches. So I'm like, guys, I want to I want to add one inch to whatever's legal. I want a 20. If you can shoot legally a 19-inch barrel, I want a 20-inch barrel. Well, what would happen, everybody agreed. Oh, dude, everybody would like that in turkey. But, but, but we can't do that because nobody's going to buy it because... You know, they want a 28-inch barrel for Dove. And, and I'm like, well, well, then I started finding out, like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to build me. Yeah. I'm going to build me the turkey gun. I can't get Remington to do it. I can't get Browning to do it. I can't get Beretta Benelli. I mean, boy, how arrogant would I be to walk into Benelli and say, hey, guys, love all your shotguns, but I need you to build me two guns that I want to kill turkeys, <laughs> you know, with. So stop your manufacturing and build me a gun. What does it cost me? So in my quest to build the gun that I wanted for myself and my own selfish reasons, and guess what? I'm not working with a gun manufacturer, so I'm not in debt, nor am I owned by any gun manufacturer. I said, wait a minute. To get this gun that I want to get built, I found a way to manufacture them that I can I can not only, if somebody likes the gun I, I, I built for myself, well, I can sell them to other people. And so that's been where the anxious is because obviously if <laughs> I can go buy me a gun, right? And it might cost a pretty penny, but it's going to be scary to, uh, to go buy 1500 and say, well, I need to sell these suckers. But to kind of give you an idea, our idea right off the bat, we're wanting a gun. I'm, I'm a blue collar guy, but obviously it's a pretty expensive project. But th this gun is probably going to land to where, you know, I would say the retailers will be able to sell it for around a $1,700 to $1,800 price tag but it's going to be very specific and it will be the most ultimate badass turkey killing gun that's light, that cycles, that shoots good, that patterns good, that totes well. It's got a Picatinny rail on the bottom for putting GoPros and Tacticams. It's got a Picatinny rail that can come off if you want to shoot just your bead or if you want to put a red dot. Everything's so interchangeable. And yes, we are going to end up having them in 20 to 410s, 28 gauge even. Um, right now, the first ones we're getting in are 12-gauge, and people's like, that's a mistake. You should have did a 20. Everybody likes 20. But I'm kind of like the old spinal tap. You know, the guy's like, you know, he's like, you got this amp on 11. Why? He's like, it, it goes to 11. So I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, I'm starting with a 12-gauge, and I, I want to. that's what I like. And yeah. I'm a grown man, and I can tote a 12-gauge. And But I am going to come out with a repeating. I want it automatic. Um, so uh, there's a lot more we, we're, we'll have to share with the gun. But um. But I'm really excited. So I'm, I'm able to, I was able to create something that truly is a bone collector product. That's truly something that I think is not going to break the bank. That still comes in a lot uh, cheaper than a lot of the better, better quality guns. But this gun is going to be right there with them. Um, you're, we're going to be able to you know, create another barrel. If somebody wants to get for their turkey torch, a 28 inch barrel, 30 inch barrel, go dove or duck hunting with it. We got that in mind. Um, so I'm really excited. Like I said, this it was cool. This is the first time I've ever mentioned it to anybody. Like I haven't even talked about this to my dad. Oh, geez. My wife. I haven't even talked to my wife about it because I don't want to stress her out when I, when I tell her to cut back on Christmas. <laughs> 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 I love it. 
Well, I appreciate the not only am I asking for you to just get two of them and sell them up there because I'm needing y'all, man. I'm needing y'all. Oh, what else? I done went from the redneck just putting my name on something to manufacturing some stuff. And so, uh, you know, what it, if you go, go big or go home, that's what I'm doing. Send them. We'll yep. so, you send them. We'll sell them. I, I want, I, like I said, I'm in the market for one myself anyway. So it's definitely already got my interest. Yeah. It sounds you know, like cool. And, gun. You know what kind of happened too? And, um, and I know as I'm talking to a dealer and a retailer here, obviously it's somewhat sacrilegious, but what happened was too, uh, that, that kind of persuaded me to go the extra step was, um, I literally went to a fair and I, I had a, a guy stamping leather, leather, and you probably know, already seen this on our website. Um, I, I bought a couple slings and they made me a couple shotgun slings. And I put my name, put Waddy. I bought all my kids one, bought my wife. And it was a cool Christmas present. And I think I was spending, I spent a hundred dollars a piece on these slings. And, and um, but they were leather. It's kind of like, remember going to the cotton picking fairs big in the South. You get the bracelets and the belts oh, yeah. and there was always watch your name junior and they yep tack, 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 and stamp you out of ben actually does a lot of work yep do you really yep. okay well so so i had bought this and so as i put them on my gun just because i was kind of a nostalgic um immediately dude everybody said like man i want where do you get that old sling because most of us have experienced some of this leather work you know at either the the renaissance festival or the local fair to where you get a bracelet or get a you know something stamped or a keychain and so we, we got to talking to this, 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 these guys over in Alabama and decided that, hey, what if we built this template to where people could get a custom sling? Well, it's been one of our more lucrative things where people can get a quality American-made product of a leather sling. And so uh, it, it went good. So I'm thinking if we can make the investment to do that kind of thing at a smaller scale and it's successful, as long as we can create a good product that's kind of neat, that that's truly got some legitimacy in its design, that, that we're not trying to... Uh, come up with something gimmicky to where it's truly something um, that that we're doing for ourselves that helps us be a better hunter. And yes, I mean, look, I mean, my wife, if a new pair of shoes comes out, she she wants them. And so, I mean, I'll be honest with you: when new shotguns and new bows, e- even bows outside of the brands I shoot, I'm, I'm I want to go shoot them, man. Yeah. I, I want to see them. I'm, a new broadhead, whether they're good or bad, I kind of just want to put one yeah. on my arrow and run it through a doe or something. And so I think we all share that. So I'm excited about the uh, really everything to come with this because this is the biggest venture I've ever done. I mean, this is this is the most high end venture I'd ever done. If you told me that Bone Click when we started as a TV show and we were going to license and use our brand like Realtree did on some other products, and that one day we were going to get a chance to, you know, I've always had bone collectors say man that you know it's funny bone collectors a similar brand as browning you know you see the sticker on the back of the truck it says something it represents something you see that that browning water mark it don't necessarily say shotguns or i shoot their guns it means this is me this is i'm part of this bone collector in a scale has that same effect you might not even know michael waddell but that logo says i'm a hunter you know judge me if you want but yeah there's probably been a dead deer in the back of this truck and so to be able to kind of I don't know, to, to go in that direction to where we can say we can manufacture a good shotgun. It starts there. I would like to tell you we're all the way down the road and we're going to have seven millimeter magnums and 300 mags. But I, but if we can get this you know out of the tracks, who's to say where it can grow to? Oh, sure. I'm just excited. And again, it's it's American dream. And so, um, you know, rather than keep talking about it and getting frustrated every time I sit down with these guys, I said, build it. 
hey, wait a minute, this is America. That's what Jimmy John did when he got tired of saying, hey, why can't I buy a sandwich and have it somewhere real freaky fast and be a really good sandwich with some good bread, you know, for, for under under seven bucks? Oh, for sure. He did it. Yeah. He did it, and he made a billion dollars doing it. You know, I mean, so I just gave him nine dollars today. I, I don't know that, that I don't I don't know that I'll ever get a plane because of it. But that yeah. ain't why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I live in America, and rather than talk about things, why not try to execute it? And so, I mean, that, like I said, that's that's a that's a brand new secret. That's that's nobody knows. It. It's the first time I've ever even said anything about it in a public forum at all. That's awesome. We that's appreciate awesome. you sharing it with us early. Oh, yeah, for sure. For no sure. doubt. And, yeah. and Ramsey. Ramsey, I'm counting on you too, buddy. Where you at, Ramsey Mills? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you wanted. Uh, we, we we've taken up a lot of his time today. Let's. Uh, yeah, I know you wanted him with some rapid fire. Yeah, we what don't if, do it very often, but for we, special guests, we have rapid fire. Yeah, and I, I I think you qualify as a special guest. So we got some, we got some uh, little uh, rapid fire questions here, real fast, just quick, right off the top. What's Michael Waddell think? Go ahead, bud. So uh, first one right off the bat is what's your favorite state to hunt? It would be Kansas, I would say. Um, it'd be Kansas because right, right now, it's, it's, if we want an explanation behind it other than just yes or no, I like it because it, it offers all the things that you would want. You can use your ethics based on if you want to bait, if you don't want to bait, but it has all the Midwest qualities of monster whitetails, a lot of different geography and tactical ways you can hunt, but it offers everything that feels like Texas and the South too. And, so, uh, and then obviously the, the, the big reason is it has the world-class bucks that can completely go past any of your expectations of what you were thinking you want to shoot in a buck. Giant deer live there. I'm glad you said that because I'm uh, this year. This year was my first year. Uh, I applied for it after I knew that because it's got an early draw, if I'm not mistaken. So I applied for it this year. So I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I'm going to draw next year and be able to get a chance to go over there. Uh, mine's That'd be a awesome, bit- and and even to extend on that, Kansas is great because some exceptional opportunity private ground, but they also have some really good public ground too. So, oh, for sure. Now, mine's going to be a little simpler for you because I, I I'm a guy that likes I I like a good tree stand snack. I like a good blind snack. What's Michael Waddell's preferred snack of choice when it comes to being in a tree stand? Bro, I'm old school and way unhealthy. It's going to be a little Debbie cake. <laughs> Mine's a little Debbie cake. And, and, and man, it, that's a whole other question and a question. Dude, I like it all. My wife and I still hide Swiss cake rolls from our kids for <laughs> I mean, so uh, Nutty Bar, Swiss cake roll, Fig Newton, which ain't necessarily a little Debbie, but I'm talking about sure. oatmeal pie, fudge yep. brown. Lord, y'all gonna make me go get one and get a glass of milk. Tonight. <laughs> there you go. I yeah, I it. like a little Debbie, man. Them suckers will stay good in that plastic bag a long time in that pack, too. Yep. Oh, for sure, for sure. All right, so next one: uh, if you only pick one animal for the rest of your life, which one would you pick to hunt? Turkey, for sure. I mean, I know I know people would expect me in some case to say that, but dude, you you know, next would be elk, but you know. An elk, if you get one elk a year, I mean, that that's you've been blessed. And um, there's sure. been years I've killed three. One year I killed four elk in four different states. I mean, that's that's almost beyond. That's like hitting a lotto to me. Um, and they were all archery bulls. I mean, so, but, you know, you, you can't just throw an elk over your shoulder. I mean, if you have one thing left to hunt turkeys, um, you, you can hunt a multiple different states if you want to. You shoot one, most every state you can kill a couple. Some states are one, but most states you can kill at least two. You can throw them over your shoulder. There's a long different 
way, a lot of ways you can hunt them and pursue them. It's a very tactical, offensive type of game versus, versus uh, you know, you can make your own luck versus just strategic luck. So I like everything in the discipline behind turkey hunting. And I've often said if a turkey had different looks and aesthetics about them, like a rack that you could see non-typical points and, you know, and different structure of their their beard or spurs, yeah. I, I think yeah. they would be by far the number one animal that everybody would hunt because the hunt itself makes you a good hunter at everything else. If you can consistently get a turkey, really in most any states where you're using a tactical figure out where they're at, adapt and overcome, be undetected, and to trick them, manipulate them in range, and you can continually be successful at that. I think all other game become pretty simple. A lot of people disagree with that, but I, I, I don't because turkey hunting, I approach it very technical. And even killing big animals and big deer, it takes a lot of technique. It, it takes a lot of strategy, but at the best, we still have to rely on strategic luck because we have no control of making a deer come to a bait pile, a food plot, or walking by that stand. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason outside of having inventory of, in a hit list of bucks that you want. But sometimes we've all done it to where you're you're a half mile or mile from where you expect, and maybe you went to the stand to go try to shoot you a doe because you're tired of chasing, you know, a wopside, whatever your name of your buck is, and you're over to kill your doe, and guess who walks out? Wopside. It's the last place you thought was going to step out, and you was over there ready to kill a doe, and dang, if you didn't get a chance or see this deer that you've been hunting all year. So, And it might have been on a warm day, might have been on a cold day. So for those reasons, I like the aspect of turkey a lot. I tell you what, and not, there's nothing that beats. I'm, ben hasn't turkey hunted yet, but I'm going to try to get him out this year. There is absolutely nothing that beats hearing one firing off, buddy. I'm telling it's you what. Addicting. It's, oh, it's addicting. Addic it's, it's like a, If you don't <laughs> need any more hobbies, don't go. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting down here to the next one. I know this is something we're both pretty interested in. What's your favorite wild game recipe? If you had to pick one, what's your what's your favorite? Man, um, I'm from the South, so frying up some good cube steak, very simple. Only thing I do different a lot of times, I put a little lemon pepper, um, which a lot of people don't like put lemon pepper on any type of red meat. Delicious. Just try it. Literally salt and pepper, a little lemon pepper, and some, uh, and some good oil, and fry that sucker up. That's probably my favorite cube steak. Um, Sackett would be um, probably the backstrap. I love backstrap. So, so yeah, I would say venison. I'm more adapted to shoot, eating a lot of venison, deer. And in that category, deer and elk are my favorite. Um, the antelope, even the moose and caribou and stuff. I eat it all, but elk and deer meat are my favorite things to eat. Um, and, and outside of that, it'd be wild turkey. But uh, I would say my favorite plate to eat venison is probably fried cube steak. Obviously, it goes without saying. I know I'm giving you way too much, but, I'm, but also... I love grind meat, all my chilies, all my stews, all oh, my, yep. you know, taco meat. It's all deer, ground up deer venison. I sometimes, I do a lot of my own. I'll add a little beef fat, but my wife likes it actually without the beef fat. So I actually don't, I'll just do straight deer. And, um, and I also love, like I say, I know I'm, I'm, I'm giving too much, but I also love just grill backstrap. A lot of people freak out over the tenderloin. I like the backstrap better. Cut up in the little fillets, about an inch thick. And I put, I actually, I did a recipe on YouTube and I'm telling you, if you try and you don't like it, man, you, you, you just might as well go and be a vegan, but you put, rub a little <laughs> olive oil on it. And I throw a little Montreal steak on that sucker and cook it hot where it's a little pink in the middle. And let me take, man, it just no way. You can't be American no and not love it. You can't yeah. be Portuguese or Iraqi and not love it. Anybody, <laughs> anybody love it. Oh, for sure. I actually picked up a, uh, one of those sous vide cookers. 
where the, the in the bag yes and then i hit it on the cast iron out on the grill as hot as i can possibly get it to get the um because i didn't want to you know you hear everyone say don't overcook it don't overcook it and i'm like okay well i'm gonna put this exactly at 133 degrees yep edge edge pink sear sear down the gullet let me tell you something a lot of people I, and i was that you know i'm sitting here talking about confidence and security i had looked at those sous vide machines for a long time and I felt a little sissy thinking about getting me a sous vide. It just sounded French, and I don't know French, but for some reason I just ooh, sweet, little sissy. I just feel like it just, 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 dude. I got me one of them suckers. Uh, there's a company called Meacham Maker or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I ordered me one of them suckers. I love it. My wife loves it, even like for domestic chicken breasts and stuff. You know, oh, you it's everything. You can't mess it up. And I tell you what, I did, and and I did this, and you you might have caught it on our YouTube channel. I sous-vide a wild turkey breast, which, you know, usually you can't do anything but fry them. That's about the best way. But I sous-vide it and then cut it up and then seared it on the grill. Blew my mind. Blowed my mind. Try, so try that, Ben, if you hadn't. Uh, get you a wild turkey and sous-vide it. And, or sous-vide, sous-vide, whatever you call it. Yeah. Grill it. Amazing. You know, just throw, you know whatever spices or oh, sure. Cajun or teriyaki, whatever you put in there, it, it compresses that flavor in it. And anyway, it's, it was amazing. So that's it's a heck good. of a trick too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. We, uh, we actually talked to the guys up there at bearded butchers. Yeah. The bearded butchers, they're up in Northern Ohio and, and we've been up there and had a good relationship. We actually sell their product in the store. So Dude, I love a little those guys. matter of fact, I, um, I made some beef jerky the other day and I got one of those same dehydrators they use. And, um, yeah, I made some beef jerky and kind of follow a lot of their recipes. Man, they do a good job. They do a really, oh, really yeah. good job. Oh, they're, they're great yeah, guys. And they're great family I'm guys a fan, too. Man. I, I pull up their YouTube stuff all the time and watch it, like, because I'm trying to get ideas. Because you know, you know what you know, and then y'all. But, but when you know those stuff, that's all you end up doing. You know, like for me, I told you I love to fry cube steak, but I'm like, okay, I got 79 pounds of cube steak. I got to do. <laughs> what can I do for my kids? It's a little different than that. I tell you what, I did do. My wife did this, and she didn't see the recipe. She just went for it. I love, I love like pot roast. You know, I thought that's always a good hunting meal, especially in camp. You can throw it on. So she, we had an excess of ground deer meat and cube steak. And so she put a bunch of cube steak in a crock pot, with like some French onion soup and like, you, and cooked it. Didn't take near as long and made like, basically cooked cube steak, which I, when I come in, I smell something smell good. I'm like, she said, well, I don't know what it's going to be. She said, you just got so much of that cube steak. She said, I'd heard a, a, a lady and I think it was in the grocery store said that that's why she wanted, she cooked a cube steak in a crock pot. So my wife is an old Southern cook and, well, she ain't old, but she's a Southern cook. Anyway, she threw, oh my God, it was delicious. Changed my life. I mean, I sat there and just picked out <laughs> on this tender cube. I just would never thought of putting cube steak and cooking it like a crock, like in a crock pot, like a big yeah. rump roast. So anyway, That sounds great. We're yeah. all getting starving, man. Getting close. Uh, to yeah. <laughs> I know. It's four o'clock. I'm about ready for dinner. Exactly. Um, uh, the one thing I had, uh, well, you got, the, you got the next one. Okay, so uh, next question: Do you have any pre-hunt rituals? Are you superstitious, superstitious at all? You know, I am kind of superstitious. I don't have anything in particular. I do. Um, um, I, I would say, you know, the biggest thing is is I my bow setup is stays the the same. I, um, typically, if I go to the stand, you know, it's pretty ritualistic. I always carry at least six arrows. I shoot with my quiver on. A lot of people ask me why, and it's because I'm greedy. If that first shot don't find its mark or there's something else standing around after I get that first shot off, I can get to an arrow quick and get that second one going. So uh, so I, I like six arrows in. 
But outside of that, no, I really don't. Now, I, a lot of things will get to be superstitious. Let's just say it's a hat. Let's just say if it's this Hoyt hat and I'm wearing it and I kill a big deer in it, all right, or just have a good hunt in it. And then maybe, and hats are like t-shirts. Like when we, when we first was trying to get reception and get Wi-Fi going, you know, we were talking about, y'all saw my Mountain Dew shirt. And I said, dude, my wife tells me to dig from the bottom of the pile because I'll get into a four or five days at home and I'll just, she, she's good. She washes clothes. So we're pretty domestic, you know, and, and I'll just keep grabbing for the front pile. So about every two days I'll have the same t-shirt on. So when it comes to hats, I'm bad about getting a hat. Same thing. And I'll wear a hat for seven, eight days straight becomes a lucky hat. But if I catch myself like, man, I'm having bad luck. I'm like, wait a minute. I need to switch hats. I killed that deer in that Hoyt hat. So I would get kind of weird about a, a hat maybe. Or, or maybe a, a certain call or a certain accessory or rangefinder that maybe I've had with me. So I go back to the things that I know have seen action that bring me security. But um, I don't have any true superstition outside of sometimes superstition will start mapping and creating a way or a road in, into each season based on a hat, based on a jacket. Maybe it's a bow. Like I had a bow one time that I switched up in and I just could hit the broadside of the barn with, I could go out and shoot in the, I could shoot, you know, blindfolded and backwards and hit the dot at a hundred yards. But every time I would miss or have a bad shot and I had to pick up, you know, my, my other bow, my other Hoyt and I just, just was smoking them. So that, that would be the only superstition I got. All right. Last one for you here, sir. What is your favorite thing to do? You've been hunting and fishing since you were a little boy. What's your favorite thing to do outside, completely separate from hunting or fishing? Man, this comes with the gray hair. Right now, and I'm not saying this for any popularity or to make people think any different, but my family, being with my family, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. Yep. Um, I love, love being with my family and preferably my wife and I cooking a big meal and having all my kids watching some good football, whether it's college, even some NFL and, um, and, and, and really even in that seeing their success. And I would say it outside of that, my biggest hobby is hearing other people's success stories. I've, I've, there's no way if you've watched my career and you know anything about me, even the people that might not like me, that, that troll on me, that throw shade on me, even them, there's no way they can't look at my life and say that I haven't been blessed. I have done things that I never thought I'd get to do. I've had a chance to meet people that I never thought I'd meet. I've had a chance to hunt places I never thought I would hunt. I've had a chance to come to full draw and to put tags on animals that I thought I would never see. And so now the joy that I felt in that to know that somebody else can, can like, you know, talking about Jordan's first deer, I'm not at all faking or acting when I say it makes me so happy to see people create their goals, whether it's somebody that's trying to get a good job or, or, or happy in life, or maybe, maybe they were trying to make a certain quota because they could buy them their first bass boat. It could be a financial success. I, I caught myself getting a lot more mature at, at listening. And, and I'm a, I'm a bullshitter. I mean, guys, I, I can tell a story and talk all day. I mean, we, you, you can see that I'm not rushed even to talk to you guys. I enjoy people. I enjoy talking and telling stories. Um, but now I feel like I can listen. I can understand what people want a lot more. And I love to see people obtain those things. And if I can help in a lot of ways, there's no way I can help because a lot of times we're on these things solo, man, you got to map it out and go for it. Just like I'm talking about the shotgun. No, I could, what am I going to do? Call y'all and say, Hey man, can I borrow, 
man, if y'all don't mind, can I borrow about 50000 a piece? And I'm, I'm trying to make some shotguns. Like, God, yeah, yeah. what else? We can't help you. <laughs> we can tell you if you're when we see it. I can do that a lot with you guys, but I can sincerely tell you, um, when I understand people's goals and I see them achieve it, I'm the first to get them on my shoulders and run them around. And so, uh, so obviously, you know, getting back to what I like the most, my family, I enjoy to see my, my family together. And, uh, and obviously being a parent is a, uh, it's a hell of a responsibility. Being a husband is a hell of a responsibility. And there's times I haven't been the best at either because I was selfish and I was pursuing these things that people saw me laughing and cutting up and high-fiving with Blake Shelton's and stuff. So now, yeah, if I, if I can have these moments, especially around here, the holidays and, and, and see my kids happy and around the simple mundane things, um, I, I'm really happy with it, you know? And, uh, so, so that, that's, that's zero BS. That's the God honest truth. That's the gray hair show. And that's the older version of Waddell. That's not me holding a solo cup and wondering what's in it. That's just, uh, that's just sincerely of, of how I feel now. And, 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 and get to that point, guys, even though I was talking about the shotgun, I hope it yields some financial success. But for me, dude, money, money, it's not even about money. It's not anything. When you got family and friends, and in my case, too, even the fans that I've had with Bone Collector and Nick and T-Bone and what T-Bone went through this past year, man, it ain't family. I mean, it ain't fans. It's family and uh it gets to be so sentimental. So right now, I mean, it's, it's, it'd be hard to, uh, no matter where I'd be at, whether it was in a, a different place financially, whether I was in a, a different ditch, um, I've already been able to achieve and see some things I never thought possible. And uh, and so, uh, yeah, I know that's pretty deep in saying all that stuff, but I, I've been really blessed. I, I'm in a good place in my life, and I, I just appreciate the culture that we all love. I appreciate people, you know, like Jordan that is really just on fire that that literally is ready to get off this podcast and go shoot his bow again and wonder what other tag he can feel now that we've been talking about turkey hunting. Like, God dang, I'm going to go start practicing my turkey calling. I mean, so I'm energized by all of that. So I'd get as much, whatever I can give people on TV shows, I promise you I get twice as much from hearing the stories and, and being around the people that are successful as I do even my own success. And and I would say the top of that list, if I want to personalize my life, is seeing my kids and my family, you know, being successful. So, uh, so that's it. A long answer to what should be a short, short <laughs> question, but uh, there's no way to answer it any any better. And if you'd asked me that ten years ago, it would have been completely different. You know, I would have probably oh, sure. said playing slow pitch softball or playing my guitar. <laughs> but now, all of that is encompassed with my family and my kids. And even though I still love to play a guitar, and I might get out there and play tackle man with football with my youngins. Uh, I might be sore the next day, but it's still based around my family. You know, that that's for sure. Oh, for sure. You know, and um, I didn't mention it before, but, um, you know, I just hit my 10-year with my wife this year. And then uh, our daughter is six, my son is three. And we were joking about Ricky Carmichael. You know, he uh, he's going to get a dirt bike this year for Christmas. He doesn't know it yet, obviously, and he won't know until. But you had talked about, you know, the holidays and living life and experience and hunts through other people's eyes, you know, and reliving your life through your kids' eyes. I appreciate you saying all that stuff too, because that's part of my life that I'm in right now, you know, that's amazing, and, man. uh, get, take my daughter out and go and shed hunting last winter. I didn't, we didn't find a single shed, Mike, but you know what? In that two hours that we spent with her walking a couple miles and she passed out in the truck on the way back home. I, dude, I get it. I, I get it. And, and you know, I, that that's that's the thing, and there's no way. And I, 
I mean, and even when you do a, a podcast like this and we're, we're talking about what we love and some of the things we don't like and what we do like, I, I hope there's somebody that that was selfishly thinking, what could they do to change their you know, career path that, that maybe was thinking, if I could just kill that big deer, if I could just make myself look a bit better and, um, and bigger. But, but what I've learned is, um, there, there's a part of that. There's a, there's a vulnerability of, of being able to say, it, when, you know, like when you're out there with your daughter to where they're, they're so entrusting in you and, and, and it ain't about what you do. They're not looking at you any different if you kill a big deer they don't care if you bow hunt or rifle hunt. They don't care if you know me or Blake Shelton, your dad, you know, and, and if you have a wife that loves you or vice versa, a wife that has a husband that loves them, loves, loves them. It's about nothing more than that. A 200 inch deer ain't going to change anything, but somebody can celebrate those things that you do set your goals. Like, like we were talking about with Jordan, oh, yeah. and his, his goal to get a deer with his bow. And, and so when you start checking off those lists, um, you start realizing what really matters the most. And, just the other day, man, I, I come home. Well, actually, when I say the other day, yesterday, you know, me and my wife had been gone all weekend and went to support Bryce Mitchell in that UFC fight. Man, my little old six-year-old boy come running in, so happy. He jumped up and said, Daddy, I love you so much, and I missed you. And, bro, man, I, dude, you're talking about still get me choked up. You got a young man uh, being, and, and bro. That right there, you talking about hit home. Yeah. He didn't say, Dad, oh, did sure. you meet Pitbull? He didn't say, Dad, did you get to go to the UFC after party? Dad, did you win some money on Blackjack? You know, he, he just <laughs> said, Dad, I missed you so much yeah. and I love you. And I'm like, he would have way been better off. He, he would have been happier if I just hadn't even went. So my point is, when you know you got those things and people in your life, that 200 inch deer ain't gonna matter if you don't get it. It's just gonna be that much better if you got people like that to celebrate it with you because they don't care. They already love you just the way you are, as flawed, as vulnerable, as goofy, as smart, as dumb, or fat, or skinny, as ugly, as pretty as you are right now. And if you can't look at that and appreciate it, if you're on social media now, freaking doing push ups and about half greased down, take that selfie of you with your, with your pack and your camo bow. Don't nobody care. Don't think they do. But somebody loves you, and somebody just loves you just the way you are. And uh, the rest of these things are our own personal goals that they can help. You know, we, we can get around a campfire, and we can talk about it. And hopefully one day we'll be all around a campfire, and we can high-five. And maybe I'm there when, you know, when old Jordan shoots that big old 160-inch buck, and by God, we can put him a stripe of blood under his eyes and make make him do a shot of ground <laughs> and get half tipsy and start singing karaoke later in the night. The whole time while we're thanking the Lord for giving us this opportunity. That's hunting camp. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's celebrating. Yep. <laughs> well, it's going to have to be on a Saturday or Sunday after church because that's all the time that's I got. That's it. <laughs> the rest we do in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we went two hours yep. with, with someone I've looked up to for, for years. And, uh, you know, it went probably just exactly as I expected, if not better. And, sir, uh, you know, I said it when we started, and I'll say it again. I know we speak for both of us when – we really, really appreciate the support you've given us, the support you've given Vance Outdoors, and uh, and just the support that you've given the hunting community as a whole, having a message so wholesome as what you got. So again, man, I we really, really appreciate your time this afternoon and evening now at this point, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I can send you that 160 inch deer picture. So please do, man, and, and Ben and Jordan, thank y'all for having me on, buddy. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and 
I was glad to be able to let a few secrets loose first time right here on y'all's podcast. And uh, please tell everybody up there, everybody in the store, I said hello and uh, look forward to seeing you guys again real soon, man. And uh, until then, we'll just call old Ramsey and we'll pick on him a little bit. And uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, appreciate it, man. Keep keep me posted, man. I hope y'all hope y'all got some more hunts in line and can knock a few more things down. All right, everyone, that is all we have for you today. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Waddell. It was just so fun to talk to him. And as somewhat green hunters, his message about what we defined as success was refreshing to hear, especially from someone with his influence. And how about that news with a new bone collector shotgun? I know it has me fired up to start chasing some long beards this spring. As always, we appreciate you listening. And until next time, enjoy the pursuit.